Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It's been said that English is a difficult language to learn, partly because of our complex grammar, our perplexing spelling, exceptions to the rules, and of course, our use of oxymorons. We'll say things such as, that was terribly nice of you, or most people might say their brackets this year were pretty ugly, or why don't you put them in random order, or you made a fine mess out of that. When you want to punt on something, you might just simply say, well, that'll be a definite maybe. When I was growing up in the night, or with my mother, she uh, had an expression that was made popular in the 1950s by Charlie Brown. Of course, he was the comic strip character created by Charles Schultz. This expression is still around today. You might hear people say it when they're irritated or frustrated or surprised. The expression I'm referring to, of course, is good grief. <laughs> have you ever stopped? Have you really? Have you ever stopped to think about how the words good and grief go together? Or do they? Well, today we're going to look at some scriptures that reference grief, and we're going to look at how God's goodness comes through grief. But first, let's take a minute and pray. Father, I want to pause for a moment to just ask you, Lord Jesus, to empty me of myself and fill me with the Holy Spirit, that I might speak your words of truth, your words of comfort. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you are the God of truth that will set us free. And I pray that you would use this message, Lord, to in some way set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Grief is a natural response to loss. We grieve for many reasons and in many different ways. Certainly, we grieve over a loved one or a special pet. We also grieve for other losses, such as declining health, a lost job, a broken relationship, a dashed dream, or some event or stage in life that we may never be able to enjoy again. We may also experience vicarious grief and trauma as we're exposed to the horrendous tragedies and suffering of people around the world, such as those who are going through the awful war in Ukraine. So in some regard, we're all grieving today, whether we're grieving a personal loss or we're grieving something that's going on in the world. It still all fits into the category of grief. Today, I want to focus on two aspects of grief. First, we're going to look at the battle with grief, and then we're going to look at the blessings that come with grief. Some of you might say, well, blessings? Pastor, what blessings come with grief? Do you realize how much pain I'm going through? Yeah, there are blessings, but hang on to that question for a moment. We'll get to it. Let's first talk about the battle with grief. For the sake of clarity, let me define the difference between grief, mourning, and bereavement. Grief is what we think and feel on the inside when we're experiencing some type of loss, while mourning is more of the outward expression of our feelings. It's the activity or the working out of our grief, if you will. Bereavement is the period of time after a loss during which we experience grief and mourning. It's the overall state of grief. Now, if you were to ask 10 people to describe their experience with grief, you'd probably get 10 different answers. That's because grief has so many emotions and so many faces. 
Grief can be an explosion of feelings such as shock, disbelief, sadness, confusion, anxiety, anger, blame, panic, guilt, regret, loneliness, depression, and in some cases, even relief. There can also be various physical symptoms such as muscle pains, insomnia, loss of appetite, fatigue, numbness, memory loss, headaches, and nausea. Added to that is the mental anguish one might go through as they replay and relive the memories of the deceased person, past experiences, and unfulfilled dreams. So one of the battles with grief is the overpowering and sometimes unfamiliar thoughts, feelings, and physical symptoms that come with grief. Sometimes the pain can be so intense that it gives way to despondency, where life just no longer seems to have any value. I want to say this loud and clear this morning. I want to be real direct with you. If you're feeling suicidal, and there may be one or two of you today that are in that state of mind, I just want you to know that there's help here. We have, we have uh, pastoral care elders waiting to pray for you. We have pastors that would be eager to talk to you. We also have support groups. We have professional counseling. We have mentors. We have so many different forms of care. Please don't leave church today without reaching out for help. We love you guys, we care for you, we wanna help you in any way we can. The Lord knows that we're going to go through seasons where life just seems to crash in on us. The Psalms are full of references to people who are hurting. Let's look at a couple of passages that assure us that the Lord understands and desires to help us in our pain. In Psalm 18, David writes, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried to help. From his temple, he heard my, cry, my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then in Psalm 145, David says, the Lord fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Sometimes people use similes or metaphors to describe their experience with grief. They might say things like, I feel like I'm on a roller coaster of feelings, or I feel like I'm in an ocean with waves of sadness that just keep pounding me. I would offer that grief can be like a difficult journey through a dense and unfamiliar forest. Walking through the forest of grief, we start out with one of the most difficult parts of the journey, and that's the part where we ask the question, why? Why did this happen? Why this person? Why now? Why this tragedy or loss or brokenness? You know, it's interesting, even Jesus asked the question, why, to his heavenly Father. While on the cross at one point, he screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus screamed out in pain the question why, he was fulfilling the prophecy found in Psalm 22. And it was a true agony, a true cry of agony, an expression of absolute torment of being cut off for the first time in eternity from his father, which whom, with, with whom he had experienced a very, very um, loving relationship. As humans, our why question is an attempt to make sense out of our situation. Why would God do this? Scripture gives us several examples of people who wrestled with God. Most of you are familiar with the Old Testament story of Job, whom God allowed to go through some terrible suffering. Listen to how Job describes his situation. Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. 
He has stripped me of my honor and removed my crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me and he counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. In Psalm 69, David utters these words, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. From these scriptures, you get a picture of two men who are wrestling with real human agony. Since God chose to include these scriptures in the Bible, obviously he wants us to know that he understands our struggles, including our feelings of unfairness. This leads to another difficult stage in grief, and that's the battle with blame. Who's to blame for this loss, this unbearable pain? Sometimes our grief leads us down the thorny path of self-blame, where we wonder, what did we do wrong? Why, did, why is God angry with me? I prayed so hard, and this is how God answered? Obviously, he must be upset with me. I must have done something to tick him off. Maybe I just didn't have enough faith, or maybe I didn't pray the right way, or maybe I've been disobedient in some manner. Sometimes we shift our blame to God. You might think, well, I know God is powerful, and I know he's all-loving, so something must be off. Either God wanted to stop it and he couldn't, which would make him weak, or he decided not to intervene, and that would make him unloving. So, which is it? Answer, neither. If we rely on our own limited understanding, we're going to be in trouble. When we measure God by our own standards of love and fairness, we get tripped up. Why? Because we're not seeing things from God's perspective. We interpret things from our own experience here on earth, and then we make judgments accordingly. We often think, well, I'm a loving person, and I wouldn't have taken that child or spouse or family member away. So why didn't God do the loving thing and spare my loved one? Well, our, prob- our problem is one of perspective. We simply don't know what God's doing. God reminds us that he's different from us. Look at this passage in Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Is there real pain in the tragedy and the suffering we're experiencing? Of course there is. God knows that. But in order for God to be loving, and he's always perfectly loving in all that he does, there must be something more important, more holy than giving us what we want. Is it possible that God has something to give us that is more precious even than giving us the answer to our prayer? And what could that be? Well, let's turn then quickly to the blessing that comes with grief. We know from Ephesians 1.11 that God is working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. The story God is writing is his story. You and I and our loved ones are all part of that story, and God's working everything together into an amazing tapestry that brings glory and honor to him. Some people are on this earth for a long time, others for only a short time. From our perspective, we're inclined to think that long life equates with God's love, but Obviously, that couldn't be true because we know a lot of beautiful Christians that have died early. When my wife, Mary Beth, and I 
experienced the loss of our stillborn son, Daniel, we chose Isaiah 40, 11 as the verse to put on his grave marker. The verse reads, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Some, some people find it helpful to visualize scripture as they read it. I hope that this picture kind of helps you visualize the scripture as you get a, a picture in your mind's eye of how tender and loving the Savior is. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the bro brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. The first blessing that comes with grief then is the knowledge that the Lord God is near to us in our pain. Have you ever taken your kids to the park to play in the playground equipment? When a child falls and skins his or her little knee, who's the first person they look to? It's their parent, right? Can you imagine a parent turning their back on a child who's just been injured? When we're hurting, the first person that we should look to is our Heavenly Father. God's always near and he always cares about our hurts. David declared, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. Now I can hear some people saying, well, I just don't feel close to the Lord. I try, but I just don't feel it. Dr. Paul Tripp points out that grief has a way of blocking our ability to see God. He's still there, he's still with us, but our feelings are obstructing our sense of God's presence. If that's, the, if that's the case, then what do you do to feel close to God? Well, let me suggest two ways to draw close. The first is to praise God. Go online or get a book that describes God's attributes and then just start acknowledging God's amazing qualities. I know that it's hard to do when you're in the throes of grief, but as much as you're able, try to get yourself to focus on God's divine beauty. In John 4, 24, Jesus instructs us to, that we are to worship in spirit and truth. As we praise God for his greatness and his love, something happens in our spirit. We commune with God in a supernatural way. A number of years ago, we had a staff member here by the name of Ben Stewart. Some of you probably remember him. He was our pastor of student ministries, and he was a really great guy. Well, one year, he took a group of us men away for a prayer retreat, a four-day prayer retreat to his family's property in eastern Michigan. Each, each morning, we grabbed our Bibles and we headed out into the woods to pray and meditate for the day. On the first day when I began my prayer time, I just couldn't seem to focus. I guess I was pretty wound up from the week's busyness and I just couldn't seem to get my mind on track. So I decided to just start with praising God you know, it was amazing. After about 10 or 15 minutes, I felt like I just kind of broke through. All the distraction of my mind just kind of faded away, and I was able to clearly focus on praying to the Lord. It was as though I had just broken into the heavenly realm, and I felt like I was truly in the presence of the Lord, communing with God. Knowing how important it is for us to focus on God's goodness, it's probably no wonder that the Bible addresses praise and worship over 250 times. So even if you're engulfed by emotions and overwhelming sadness, don't give up your prayer time. The enemy knows that it's your lifeline to comfort and he'll do everything he can to distract 
and to discourage you from spending time with God. In our agony, we may be tempted to turn to other things to uh, comfort us, but often they just leave us more, more desperate and possibly even addicted. Can I add a word of caution here? Be careful with your phone. Be careful with things like the TV, entertainment, junk food, and alcohol. Be sure that what you're taking in is truly healthy for your body, mind, and soul. And if you're struggling with prayer, try cutting your prayers down. Try making them short conversations with God. Even when it's hard and you don't feel much like praying, at least have a a short talk with God throughout the day. You can talk to God about anything. You know, he already knows your thoughts and your feelings, so you aren't telling him anything new. If you're struggling in this area, you might also try praying with someone else. There's definitely power in praying with other people. In some cases, you might find that it's helpful to write out your prayers. Sometimes God speaks to you as you journal your thoughts and feelings in the form of a prayer to him. Well, the second way to draw close to God is to meditate on his word. Lean into God, lean into his promises. I'll admit that sometimes the word of God can sound hollow, especially when you're hurting. Sometimes you just can't seem to resonate with anything that you're reading. When you're heavily grieving, I would encourage you to go to the Psalms. I love the Psalms. If you've never read through the 150 Psalms, I would, I would challenge you, set a goal and read through all of the Psalms. I think you'll find it to be very rich and rewarding. Notice what the writer of Psalm 130 says. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word, in his word, I put my hope. Sometimes it may take a while for God's word to transform your thinking. You may have to go over a verse dozens of times before it finally sinks in. Try taking just one verse. For example, Isaiah 41.10, that's a favorite verse of mine. That verse says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Strengthen you, excuse me. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Find a verse that's particularly meaningful to you and then just meditate on it. Go over it over and over until you not only memorize it, but you actually believe it. Nothing will encourage you more when you're grieving than the Word of God. To better comprehend God's closeness, sometimes we have to shift our understanding, our comprehension of God. Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine that Jesus is actually crying with us. And yet we know from the story of Lazarus that Jesus was so moved by the events of that that time that he broke into tears. Remember, Jesus is still fully human and fully God today. He didn't leave his feelings behind when he went to heaven. Even when he reigned... Even though he reigns from the heavenly throne, he's still fully human. And he is still Emmanuel, God with us. And he's closely identifying with us in our pain and our sorrow. In Psalm 31, David wrote, I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul. And the writer of the Hebrews assures us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When you think of someone in life who's the epitome of compassion, empathy, realize that that person 
as wonderful as they are, is just a mere human re uh, reflection of our perfect Savior. When we say Jesus is perfect, we've got to remember that he's perfect and infinite in his emotions as well as all his other attributes. Jesus grieves with us at a level that we can't even imagine. Remember how Isaiah described Jesus? He said he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The Lord isn't out there somewhere in space looking down on your suffering. He's right with you. Not only does he walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, but I think he even feels with us through the valley of the shadow of death. So one of the blessings of grief is that it pushes us toward God for comfort. There's probably nothing more powerful than grief to force you into the heart of God, to experience him at a level of intimacy that you never had before. One further blessing that comes from grief is found in 2 Corinthians. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are comforted, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Last summer, I went out for a long run north of Appleton, and it was an unusually hot day. I think the humidity was about 90%. And on my way back, I ran out of water. Realizing that I was starting to feel dehydrated, I started looking for a farmhouse where I could fill up my bottles. And I came up on a garage with the big bay doors open, and there were three guys inside. And I thought, well, they look friendly enough. So I walked up to the garage, and one of the guys immediately came up to me, and he took one look at my face, and he said, I know exactly what you need. And then he bolted into the house, and he came back with three full bottles of water. Oh, I was so thirsty. It was just like heaven. You see, this guy, he was a long-distance runner, and he understood exactly what I was going through. He knew, he knew what I was experiencing. He had been there. He had done that. So the verses that we just read uh, assure us that God comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort others in theirs. The second blessing then that comes through grief is the opportunity to experience and share comfort with others. For those of you who have gone through a long season of grief, you know what it feels like. Hopefully, you also know what it means to be comforted by God and, and his people. You can look into the face of someone, and you can empathize with their pain. You may not know exactly what, need, what they need. You know, people need different things. For some people, it may simply be a healing presence or a listening ear. For others, it may be running an errand for them, helping them with daily chores, making them a meal, babysitting, or providing some kind of financial or legal advice. You know, there's so many ways that we can provide comfort to others. One sister at our church told me recently, she's battling a medical condition, she told me that she receives a card each day from a friend with just a Bible verse written out. She said, you know, when you're struggling, it's nice to have human encouragement, but the Word of God is so powerful and uplifting. I think sometimes we draw back from sharing the word with each other because we're afraid of coming across preachy. Brothers and sisters, don't ever be ashamed to share the word of God. The word of God is so powerful. It's living and active. Certainly, I would encourage you to pray for the right words, but then don't hold back. You never know when one scripture will set somebody free or lift them out of depression help them straighten out their negative thoughts. One final word, God says that we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. 
Our grief represents a deep love that we have for the person that we lost. The deeper the love, the deeper the grief. As Zig Ziglar says, it's the price you pay for loving someone. It's good to grieve, it's good to cry. One of the gifts that God has given us is tear ducts. Did you know that if you cry for long periods of time, your body actually releases endorphins that can ease both physical and emotional pain? So go ahead and have a good cry. It's actually therapeutic. So we definitely grieve. We don't grieve without hope when we know that our loved one has gone to be with the Lord. Peter writes, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Even though we grieve, we, grow, we grieve with hope in the Lord. Our faith is a powerful force that can lift us and carry us through grief. Sometimes there's the expectation to get over our grief or loss. The truth is, we never get over it. We just live through it. We move forward to a new normal, a new life without our loved one, but a life with hope a certain hope that we will one day see our saved loved ones again in heaven. Let me ask you the all-important question. Are you sure that you will see your loved ones in heaven? If you haven't settled that issue, then let your grief and your loss be your wake-up call. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't let God's invitation go unanswered. Respond in faith, repent of your sins, and invite Jesus Christ into your life. Let his comfort be your strength as you walk through the forest of grief. Would you please stand for prayer and the benediction? Father, thank you for your word. It is so comforting. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that you give us as well and for your people, Lord. Father, help us to look into the eyes of other people who are suffering and be your healing balm for them. Give us, Lord, opportunities to minister to others, to comfort them in their grief. Thank you, Lord, that you comfort us, that you're the God of all comfort. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a great day. Well, good morning, everyone. It's been said that English is a difficult language to learn, partly because of our complex grammar, our perplexing spelling, exceptions to the rules, and of course, our use of oxymorons. We'll say things such as, that was terribly nice of you, or most people might say their brackets this year were pretty ugly. <laughs> or why don't you put them in random order? Or you made a fine mess out of that. 
When you want to punt on something, you might just simply say, well, that'll be a definite maybe. When I was growing up in the night, or with my mother, she uh, had an expression that was made popular in the 1950s by Charlie Brown. Of course, he was the comic strip character created by Charles Schultz. This expression is still around today. You might hear people say it when they're irritated or frustrated or surprised. The expression I'm referring to, of course, is good grief. <laughs> have you ever stopped, have you, really, have you ever stopped to think about how the words good and grief go together, or do they? Well, today we're going to look at some scriptures that reference grief, and we're going to look at how God's goodness comes through grief. But first, let's take a minute and pray. Father, I want to pause for a moment to just ask you, Lord Jesus, to empty me of myself and fill me with the Holy Spirit, that I might speak your words of truth, your words of comfort, Thank you so much, Lord God, that you are the God of truth that will set us free, and I pray that you would use this message, Lord, to in some way set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Grief is a natural response to loss. We grieve for many reasons and in many different ways. Certainly, we grieve over a loved one or a special pet. We also grieve for other losses, such as declining health, a lost job, a broken relationship, a dashed dream, or some event or stage in life that we may never be able to enjoy again. We may also experience vicarious grief and trauma as we're exposed to the horrendous tragedies and suffering of people around the world, such as those who are going through the awful war in Ukraine. So in some regard, we're all grieving today, whether we're grieving a personal loss or we're grieving something that's going on in the world. It still all fits into the category of grief. Today I want to focus on two aspects of grief. First we're gonna look at the battle with grief and then we're going to look at the blessings that come with grief. Some of you might say, well, blessings? Pastor, what blessings come with grief? Do you realize how much pain I'm going through? Yeah, there are blessings, but hang on to that question for a moment. We'll get to it. Let's first talk about the battle with grief. For the sake of clarity, let me define the difference between grief, mourning, and bereavement. Grief is what we think and feel on the inside when we're experiencing some type of loss, while mourning is more of the outward expression of our feelings. It's the activity or the working out of our grief, if you will. Bereavement is the period of time after a loss during which we experience grief and mourning. It's the overall state of grief. Now, if you were to ask 10 people to describe their experience with grief, you'd probably get 10 different answers. That's because grief has so many emotions and so many faces. Grief can be an explosion of feelings such as shock, disbelief, sadness, confusion, anxiety, anger, blame, Panic, guilt, regret, loneliness, depression, and in some cases, even relief. There can also be various physical symptoms, such as muscle pains, insomnia, loss of appetite, fatigue, numbness, memory loss, headaches, and nausea. Added to that is the mental anguish one might go through as they replay and relive the memories of the deceased person, past experiences, and unfulfilled dreams. So one of the battles with grief 
is the overpowering and sometimes unfamiliar thoughts, feelings, and physical symptoms that come with grief. Sometimes the pain can be so intense that it gives way to despondency, where life just no longer seems to have any value. I want to say this loud and clear this morning. I want to be real direct with you. If you're feeling suicidal, and there may be one or two of you today that are in that state of mind, I just want you to know that there's help here. We have, we have uh, pastoral care elders waiting to pray for you. We have pastors that would be eager to talk to you. We also have support groups. We have professional counseling. We have mentors. We have so many different forms of care. Please don't leave church today without reaching out for help. We love you guys. We care for you. We want to help you in any way we can. The Lord knows that we're going to go through seasons where life just seems to crash in on us. The Psalms are full of references to people who are hurting. Let's look at a couple of passages that assure us that the Lord understands and desires to help us in our pain. In Psalm 18, David writes, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried to help. From his temple he heard my, cry, my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then in Psalm 145, David says, The Lord fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Sometimes people use similes or metaphors to describe their experience with grief. They might say things like, I feel like I'm on a roller coaster of feelings, or I feel like I'm in an ocean with waves of sadness that just keep pounding me. I would offer that grief can be like a difficult journey through a dense and unfamiliar forest. Walking through the forest of grief, we start out with one of the most difficult parts of the journey, and that's the part where we ask the question, why? Why did this happen? Why this person? Why now? Why this tragedy or loss or brokenness? You know, it's interesting, even Jesus asked the question, why, to his heavenly Father. While on the cross at one point, he screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus screamed out in pain the question why, he was fulfilling the prophecy found in Psalm 22. And it was a true agony, a true cry of agony, an expression of absolute torment, of being cut off for the first time in eternity from his father, which whom, with, with whom he had experienced a very, very um, loving relationship. As humans, our why question is an attempt to make sense out of our situation. Why would God do this? Scripture gives us several examples of people who wrestled with God. Most of you are familiar with the Old Testament story of Job, whom God allowed to go through some terrible suffering. Listen to how Job describes his situation. Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed my crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me, and he counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. In Psalm 69, David utters these words, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. 
From these scriptures, you get a picture of two men who are wrestling with real human agony. Since God chose to include these scriptures in the Bible, obviously he wants us to know that he understands our struggles, including our feelings of unfairness. This leads to another difficult stage in grief, and that's the battle with blame. Who's to blame for this loss, this unbearable pain? Sometimes our grief leads us down the thorny path of self-blame, where we wonder, what did we do wrong? Why, did, why is God angry with me? I prayed so hard, and this is how God answered? Obviously, he must be upset with me. I must have done something to tick him off. Maybe I just didn't have enough faith, or maybe I didn't pray the right way, or maybe I've been disobedient in some manner. Sometimes we shift our blame to God. You might think, well, I know God is powerful, and I know he's all-loving, so something must be off. Either God wanted to stop it and he couldn't, which would make him weak, or he decided not to intervene, and that would make him unloving. So, which is it? Answer, neither. If we rely on our own limited understanding, we're going to be in trouble. When we measure God by our own standards of love and fairness, we get tripped up. Why? Because we're not seeing things from God's perspective. We interpret things from our own experience here on earth, and then we make judgments accordingly. We often think, well, I'm a loving person, and I wouldn't have taken that child or spouse or family member away. So why didn't God do the loving thing and spare my loved one? Well, our, prob- our problem is one of perspective. We simply don't know what God's doing. God reminds us that he's different from us. Look at this passage in Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Is there real pain in the tragedy and the suffering we're experiencing? Of course there is. God knows that. But in order for God to be loving, and he's always perfectly loving in all that he does, there must be something more important, more holy than giving us what we want. Is it possible that God has something to give us that is more precious even than giving us the answer to our prayer? And what could that be? Well, let's turn then quickly to the blessing that comes with grief. We know from Ephesians 1.11 that God is working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. The story God is writing is his story. You and I and our loved ones are all part of that story, and God's working everything together into an amazing tapestry that brings glory and honor to him. Some people are on this earth for a long time, others for only a short time. From our perspective, we're inclined to think that long life equates with God's love, but Obviously, that couldn't be true because we know a lot of beautiful Christians that have died early. When my wife, Mary Beth, and I experienced the loss of our stillborn son, Daniel, we chose Isaiah 40, 11 as the verse to put on his grave marker. The verse reads, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Some, some people find it helpful to visualize Scripture as they read it. I hope that this picture kind of helps you visualize the Scripture as you get a, a picture in your mind's eye of how tender and loving the Savior is. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the bro- brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. The first blessing that comes with grief then is the knowledge that the Lord God is near to us in our pain. Have you ever taken your kids to the park to play in the playground equipment? When a child falls and skins his or her little knee, who's the first person they look to? It's their parent, right? Can you imagine a parent turning their back on a child who's just been injured? When we're hurting, the first person that we should look to is our Heavenly Father. God's always near and he always cares about our hurts. David declared, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. Now I can hear some people saying, well, I just don't feel close to the Lord. I try, but I just don't feel it. Dr. Paul Tripp points out that grief has a way of blocking our ability to see God. He's still there, he's still with us, but our feelings are obstructing our sense of God's presence. If that's the, if that's the case, then what do you do to feel close to God? Well, let me suggest two ways to draw close. The first is to praise God. Go online or get a book that describes God's attributes and then just start acknowledging God's amazing qualities. I know that it's hard to do when you're in the throes of grief, but as much as you're able, try to get yourself to focus on God's divine beauty. In John 4, 24, Jesus instructs us to, that we are to worship in spirit and truth. As we praise God for his greatness and his love, something happens in our spirit. We commune with God in a supernatural way. A number of years ago, we had a staff member here by the name of Ben Stewart. Some of you probably remember him. He was our pastor of student ministries, and he was a really great guy. Well, one year, he took a group of us men away for a prayer retreat, a four-day prayer retreat to his family's property in eastern Michigan. Each, each morning, we grabbed our Bibles, and we headed out into the woods to pray and meditate for the day. On the first day, when I began my prayer time, I just couldn't seem to focus. I guess I was pretty wound up from the week's busyness, and I just couldn't seem to get my mind on track. So I decided to just start with praising God. You know, it was amazing. After about 10 or 15 minutes, I felt like I just kind of broke through. All the distraction of my mind just kind of faded away, and I was able to clearly focus on praying to the Lord. It was as though I had just broken into the heavenly realm, and I felt like I was truly in the presence of the Lord, communing with God. Knowing how important it is for us to focus on God's goodness, it's probably no wonder that the Bible addresses praise and worship over 250 times. So even if you're engulfed by emotions and overwhelming sadness, don't give up your prayer time. The enemy knows that it's your lifeline to comfort, and he'll do everything he can to distract and to discourage you from spending time with God. In our agony, we may be tempted to turn to other things to uh, comfort us, but often they just leave us more, more desperate and possibly even addicted. Can I add a word of caution here? Be careful with your phone. Be careful with things like the TV, entertainment, junk food, and alcohol. Be sure that what you're taking in is truly healthy for your body, mind, and soul. And if you're struggling with prayer, try cutting your prayers down. Try making them short conversations with God. 
even when it's hard and you don't feel much like praying, at least have a, a short talk with God throughout the day. You could talk to God about anything, you know, he already knows your thoughts and your feelings, so you aren't telling him anything new. If you're struggling in this area, you might also try praying with someone else. There's definitely power in praying with other people. In some cases, you might find that it's helpful to write out your prayers. Sometimes God speaks to you as you journal your thoughts and feelings in the form of a prayer to him. Well, the second way to draw close to God is to meditate on his word. Lean into God, lean into his promises. I'll admit that sometimes the word of God can sound hollow, especially when you're hurting. Sometimes you just can't seem to resonate with anything that you're reading. When you're heavily grieving, I would encourage you to go to the Psalms. I love the Psalms. If you've never read through the 150 Psalms, I would, I would challenge you, set a goal and read through all of the Psalms. I think you'll find it to be very rich and rewarding. Notice what the writer of Psalm 130 says. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, in his word, I put my hope. Sometimes it may take a while for God's word to transform your thinking. You may have to go over a verse dozens of times before it finally sinks in. Try taking just one verse. For example, Isaiah 41.10. That's a favorite verse of mine. That verse says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Strengthen you. Excuse me. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Find a verse that's particularly meaningful to you and then just meditate on it. Go over it over and over until you not only memorize it, but you actually believe it. Nothing will encourage you more when you're grieving than the word of God. To better comprehend God's closeness, sometimes we have to shift our understanding, our comprehension of God. Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine that Jesus is actually crying with us. And yet we know from the story of Lazarus that Jesus was so moved by the events of that, uh, of that time that he broke into tears. Remember, Jesus is still fully human and fully God today. He didn't leave his feelings behind when he went to heaven. Even, when he reigns, even though he reigns from the heavenly throne, he's still fully human. And he is still Emmanuel, God with us. And he's closely identifying with us in our pain and our sorrow. In Psalm 31, David wrote, I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul. And the writer of the Hebrews assures us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When you think of someone in life who's the epitome of compassion, empathy, realize that that person, as wonderful as they are, is just a mere human re uh, reflection of our perfect Savior. When we say Jesus is perfect, we've got to remember that he's perfect and infinite in his emotions as well as all his other attributes. Jesus grieves with us at a level that we can't even imagine. Remember how Isaiah described Jesus? He said he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The Lord isn't out there somewhere in space looking down on your suffering. He's right with you. Not only does he walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, but I think he even feels with us through the valley of the shadow of death. 
So one of the blessings of grief is that it pushes us toward God for comfort. There's probably nothing more powerful than grief to force you into the heart of God to experience him at a level of intimacy that you never have before. One further blessing that comes from grief is found in 2 Corinthians. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are comforted, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Last summer, I went out for a long run north of Appleton, and it was an unusually hot day. I think the humidity was about 90%. And on my way back, I ran out of water. Realizing that I was starting to feel dehydrated, I started looking for a farmhouse where I could fill up my bottles. And I came up on a garage with the big bay doors open, and there were three guys inside. And I thought, well, they look friendly enough. So I walked up to the garage, and one of the guys immediately came up to me, and he took one look at my face, and he said, I know exactly what you need. And then he bolted into the house, and he came back with three full bottles of water. Oh, I was so thirsty. It was just like heaven. You see, this guy, he was a long-distance runner, and he understood exactly what I was going through. He knew, he knew what I was experiencing. He had been there. He had done that. So the verses that we just read uh, assure us that God comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort others in theirs. The second blessing then that comes through grief is the opportunity to experience and share comfort with others. For those of you who have gone through a long season of grief, you know what it feels like. Hopefully, you also know what it means to be comforted by God and, and his people. You can look into the face of someone, and you can empathize with their pain. You may not know exactly what, need, what they need. You know, people need different things. For some people, it may simply be a healing presence or a listening ear. For others, it may be running an errand for them, helping them with daily chores, making them a meal, babysitting, or providing some kind of financial or legal advice. You know, there's so many ways that we can provide comfort to others. One sister at our church told me recently, she's battling a medical condition, and she told me that she receives a card each day from a friend with just a Bible verse written out. She said, you know, when you're struggling, it's nice to have human encouragement, but the word of God is so powerful and uplifting. I think sometimes we draw back from sharing the word with each other because we're afraid of coming across preachy. Brothers and sisters, don't ever be ashamed to share the word of God. The word of God is so powerful. It's living and active. Certainly, I would encourage you to pray for the right words, but then don't hold back. You never know when one scripture will set somebody free or lift them out of depression help them straighten out their negative thoughts. One final word. God says that we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Our grief represents a deep love that we have for the person that we lost. The deeper the love, the deeper the grief. As Zig Ziglar says, it's the price you pay for loving someone. It's good to grieve. It's good to cry. One of the gifts that God has given us is tear ducts. Did you know that if you cry for long periods of time, your body actually releases endorphins that can ease both physical and emotional pain? So go ahead and have a good cry. It's actually therapeutic. So we definitely grieve. We don't grieve without hope when we know that our loved one has gone to be with the Lord. 
Peter writes, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Even though we grieve, we, grow, we grieve with hope in the Lord. Our faith is a powerful force that can lift us and carry us through grief. Sometimes there's the expectation to get over our grief or loss. The truth is, we never get over it. We just live through it. We move forward to a new normal, a new life without our loved one, but a life with hope, a certain hope that we will one day see our saved loved ones again in heaven. Let me ask you the all-important question. Are you sure that you will see your loved ones in heaven? If you haven't settled that issue, then let your grief and your loss be your wake-up call. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't let God's invitation go unanswered. Respond in faith, repent of your sins, and invite Jesus Christ into your life. Let his comfort be your strength as you walk through the forest of grief. Would you please stand for prayer and the benediction? Father, thank you for your word. It is so comforting. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that you give us as well, and for your people, Lord. Father, help us to look into the eyes of other people who are suffering and be your healing balm for them. Give us, Lord, opportunities to minister to others, to comfort them in their grief. Thank you, Lord, that you comfort us, that you're the God of all comfort. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great day.